0: Welcome to this latest edition of the Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.world, together with Aveco. I'm Peter Backman, and today, together with John Bozicchiello, we'll talk about delivery in general and ways to make it accessible and profitable. And no doubt we'll get on to other topics too with our special guest Dan Warren as we try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector. But before we get on to that, um, John, um, it's holiday time. Um, how's it going for you?
1: It is indeed holiday time. Um, I've actually just come back, Peter. I've been to Mallorca for a week with the uh, wife and children, so really nice. We had that huge heat wave while we were down there, so it made it even nicer for us, because that's what you're on holiday for. Um, lots of people seem to be off, talking to our customers, colleagues. Everyone seems to be having holiday, but you were in America, and I haven't seen you since. How was the, the tour of the US?
0: Um, well, it wasn't all holiday. I was away for six weeks. It was meant to be eight weeks work. It turned out to be six weeks of which roughly two weeks was holiday. Um, and I took it as a great opportunity to see the whole country because I've been many times, um, limited to New York, Chicago, and other big cities. Um, this time I went everywhere from, um, California through to Louisiana, um, uh, Tennessee, um, all over, and I had a fantastic, um, had a fantastic time, but also deeply insightful because what I'd seen from looking at um, America through the big cities isn't what I saw when I was travelling through Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas. There, it's wide, huge, open spaces, and that gave me a clue as to how the American society, American people view the world. It's just vast. Uh, And that uh, that involves their whole mindset. And I found that incredibly interesting.
1: No, it is. And we might as well discuss it because you were there and this is around deliveries. And obviously, part of your trip over there as you were working, you must have been talking about deliveries. And is there anything in the US that's hitting that really took your inspiration?
0: The, I think the interesting thing is how similar delivery is wherever you look. And I I'm, I'm no, don't only look at the US, of course. Uh, it's similar wherever you look, but there are particular um, uh, ways of going about it that depend either on the local people or on local conditions. Um, in America, uh, there is the urge to get on and do it quickly and invest and invest and invest. And delivery is evolving rapidly uh, in ways that people don't necessarily see. So making an investment to catch a particular wave might not work if that wave doesn't arrive. And I think that's what's hitting the American um, delivery community um, uh, right now as we speak.
1: Okay, Uh, that's interesting, isn't it, that you say it's very similar everywhere we look and we always look to america for trends don't we in food service in restaurant hospitality america seemed to always go first or have the big ideas and then it follows into the uk into europe and globally but was there anything that was new in the delivery world we spoke previously about lockers was there anything like that or
0: yes uh the the um local um Food hall, and we'll get on to that later on. I'm sure when we when we speak to Dan, um, the the local food hall it is more of a feature in the US. They're, I was in um, Palo Alto in California, um, which is a great city. Um, well, they call it a city, it's more like a town, uh, and it has um, a food food hall. Um, just sitting there in the high street, nothing, nothing special. It's just there and it works. And, um, I came across quite a few of those. So yes, that, that is perhaps, um, in America where they're not making so much, um, of, uh, of a noise about all sorts of developments. They're just getting on with it. Um, it's a great proving ground for finding out what doesn't work. And I'm, I'm not so sure that we should be looking to America totally as the answer to what is going to happen to delivery. It's certainly got some answers, um, and the uh, recording that we were able to do with uh, um, Steve at a cluster truck uh, in this series, uh, is a part of that. But I think there's still um, a long way for America to go uh, as there is for other countries in terms of delivery. We can look at America, but we must look ev- everywhere else as well.
1: No, definitely. It uh, sounds interesting anyway, but I'm sure, uh, Peter, you'll want to crack on rather than everyone listening to our holiday uh, woes.
0: Yeah, well, there weren't woes, uh, but yes, OK. So let's, let's actually do that. And um, to kick off, then, um, I, I'll set the scene with some additional thoughts. Um, and maybe we can use them as a basis for discussion. Um, There are so many aspects to restaurant delivery, and they provide many fertile grounds for discussion. One of these aspects, it seems to me, is size, and especially for my argument right now, the size of funding and the resulting size of the market, or perhaps it's the other way around, but no matter. If you look at restaurant delivery, you see a relatively small number of companies that have attracted vast investments, tens of billion dollars in aggregate. And these companies have used their funding to market themselves as a, quote, brand, unquote, or uh, in terms of the services they offer. And they've done this to great effect because the restaurant delivery market is today worth hundreds of billions of dollars. Now, here's the interesting bit. The companies that I'm talking about have got to where they are by attracting a whole army of willing collaborators, by which I mean Western operators. And I'd stress I'm not using the word collaborator in a perjurative sense, but in true translation from the Latin as, quote, working with, unquote. These are companies that work with the huge aggregators. Some who work collaboratively, a minority, are already large businesses of the likes of McDonald's and KFC. But the vast majority of the army of collaborators are small businesses. They may lack the wherewithal to create a presence in the delivery market without help from the aggregators. Or the aggregators may have used their heft to help smaller businesses, that are already successful in their own way, to grow faster than they could have on their own. Now, of course, the aggregators aren't in the collaboration game out of their love for their fellow businesses. Instead, there is a hefty dose of self-interest, and there's nothing wrong with that. If the collaborators grow, so do they. I'll end here with the thought that size is important in restaurant delivery, but wisely used, size can bring benefits to the smallest of businesses, and I think that's a good thing. Any thoughts?
1: Interesting to say about size, again, Peter. Um, Size of the market size of hospitality, um, restaurants getting into this sector more and more, but also people pulling out of this sector a little bit as well. We're hearing that um, restaurants now are really concentrating back to what they're doing, and that's hospitality at the table. The numbers are dropping on delivery. We can see that from what they were in the C times, let's call it. But again, it's around the operators working with the aggregators, working with will come on to people like Dan, with partnerships, engagement, it really does make a difference. And that comes to your size, whether big or small.
0: Yeah, good thoughts. So um, I guess it's time to bring in our guest. Um, Welcome, Dan. Thanks Thanks
2: for having me, Peter. Great to be here.
0: Good. Um, Dan is the founder of Sessions. um, And no doubt we'll get on to Sessions in more detail shortly. Um, But Dan, What's in your background that got you into, quote, delivery, unquote?
2: So it's interesting, PC, you started the podcast talking about the US, a market that is diverse from the big cities that, as you mentioned, you spent a lot of time in to the big, wide-open countryside in Louisiana and throughout the Midwest, down to the deep south, et cetera. Um, I spent a lot of time in the US. I worked over there for five years from 2009 to 2014. And uh, I was in four of the big cities, so I started in uh, Chicago, then moved to LA, then New York, then San Francisco. And uh, at that time, I was developing a business called TravelZoo, which had a, a hospitality deals product that wasn't dissimilar to what Groupon were doing in the market, but on the premium end. And uh, I ended up in San Francisco working with a number of different tech companies and got very familiar with the world of delivery as it was emerging in uh, San Francisco or the the broader Bay Area, so Palo Alto Mountain View. And uh, got to know a couple of businesses there, one of which was Caviar, which subsequently got bought by the other company I got very familiar with, DoorDash. And both of these businesses were very interested in exploring entering Europe. And so uh, with one of them very keen, um they asked me to start looking into what it would take to launch in the UK. I was very familiar with the UK market, obviously, having been from the UK. And when I did that, I was introduced to an even smaller delivery company called Deliveroo and the founder of that business, a chap called Will Shu, And I really liked Will. And after a couple of conversations with him, rather than bringing one of the the U.S. companies over, I decided to to join Deliveroo subsequent to their 2014 Series A round of funding from Index Ventures, Um, a £3 million round of funding, which seems very small in the context of the money that's gone into the market now. But I joined just after that, and uh, my job was to scale the business from a few hundred orders, so not a few hundred thousand orders, just a few hundred orders, um, out to the the million plus orders that um, delivery we had at the time that I left, so it was a, a pretty amazing journey for me. Um, a Great experience building the market, both with some of the the larger operators that you mentioned and uh, many of the smaller SME um, uh, market, both SMEs from a restaurant standpoint. But one of the things not mentioned earlier was the the SMEs, the small businesses that are the riders themselves. So They are self-employed. Many of them build a a whole business around that. Some of them um, uh, have worked with Deliveroo for for many years. I say with because they're not employees of the business, um, which is something perhaps we can discuss as we go through. But I have um, a fair amount of experience in delivery, it's fair to say. Um, And Sessions also plays a a role in that delivery ecosystem, which I can come to later. Mm, Yeah, sure. it seems that the history uh,
0: of delivery, although you've said you've been around for some time, in fact, it's quite short uh, so far. And it's amazing that it's created such a um, an, an infrastructure, um, huge awareness in, in the public and so on. And I think um, having seen it all over the last 10, 12 years, um, your insights um, are going to be very, very useful. Um, I must say that I became aware of delivery um, perhaps eight, nine years ago uh, when I saw it disrupting what restaurants were doing, um, causing them to scratch their heads and say, what do we do about it? So um, the the whole evolution has been um, interesting because it's been so rapid – but also because so many different people have been involved in it.
2: Certainly, yeah. It has been, you, you forget when you're so entrenched in it that it, it hasn't been that long. I mean, it's less than a, a decade since I joined Deliveroo and about a decade or so um, uh, uh, from when Will started Deliveroo. And uh, what I, I think is is of note with the success of of that particular sector is unlike perhaps other areas where venture capital has spiked the growth of an industry. And over the last 10 years, there have been many industries where a lot of capital has gone in. So grocery delivery, um, uh, various different um, uh, companies helping with transportation, so businesses like Lime, etc. In delivery, there was a delivery industry, it just wasn't technologized. So I think all of us would be um, guilty of, of ordering a, a curry or a pizza over the phone probably you know, 30 or so years ago. So that market was was very much there. It was just a manual one. And uh, my personal view is that where there is very clearly an active sector, where there is clear demand within that sector, um, you can have greater confidence that it, it can be disrupted and built through technology. Um, So another example being Uber in uh, taxis. So everyone is familiar with getting a taxi. You do it better, you make it more automated, you make it cheaper, you make it instant, and you can be pretty confident people are going to use it. Um, Whereas a, a business like, say, Bird, so scooters around London, less of a clear operating model for that already in existence. Sure, I get the argument that perhaps... You know, we all need to reduce our carbon footprint and this is an easy way to get around. But there isn't something you can point to and say, this obviously is a thing people already do. We're just going to make it better. And so I might argue that while delivery in the form we now know it, so full service restaurants delivering via digital platforms is very new, delivery actually isn't that new. And, and that, I think, speaks to how successful it's been and how much capital it's been able to attract.
1: And looking at uh, your time at Deliveroo, Dan, when it first started back in 2014 to when you left to where it is today, is it a case of it's changed its model? Uh, And what is Deliveroo? Is Deliveroo a, a company that delivers food to people? Is it a data company? Is it a tech company? Is it an amalgamation of lots of different things that have changed over a period of time? Deliveroo
2: hasn't changed that much in regards to its purpose and the problem it's solving for. So you look at Deliveroo today, you go on the platform, and the technology is vastly superior from when I joined. We didn't even have an app, actually, at that time. It was merely a, a web platform. That's how far back we're going. Um, but what it's solving for in terms of bringing quality product to consumers at home is, is the same. The, the differences are it's much broader in what it offers. So where we started, because Just Eat already existed in the market, doing the traditional takeaway Um, component Delivery focused wholly on the full service restaurant side and so we were very selective on who we'd work with we wouldn't even work with QSRs at that time where when you go on Delivery now they work with um, all the QSRs and and are much less selective so I suppose the viewpoint is when you're a a marketplace you're rather like a a high street Um, your job is not necessarily to to wholly curate that but rather to make it all available to the consumer and make the consumer aware of um, uh, what type of customer experience others are having. So ratings, et cetera. And then the algorithm will work according to conversion, broadly speaking. So how likely it is that someone clicking on something will go on to purchase, which is a function of many different things, but rating is is one of those. Um, It's broadened a bit in terms of the sectors it targets now. So it does have a, a much bigger grocery function than it used to have um when i was there i did the first deal with co-op whereas now they have lots of of different relationships with supermarkets and they have delivery hop which is effectively a, a distinct product that the tech team focus on and then i suppose finally the your question about data um I think there is, a, obviously, they have a huge amount of data and there is an opportunity to directly monetize that that I don't necessarily obviously see them doing. Um, but how they indirectly monetize that, they've been doing that for a long time. And what I mean by that is how they use data to vastly improve the consumer experience, particularly around the restaurant and rider operational piece. So when I joined riders and restaurants. It was very manual. So we would literally find um, riders, bring them to the office, sign them up with a a sheet rather like the sheet we have in front of us today and uh, encourage them to work certain days of the week for us, etc. Whereas now all of it is predictive AI. And when I say AI, I I mean, AI can mean lots of different things. But I mean, true AI, they created a brain Um, that could go out and not just follow the models built by humans but understand how to build its own models and then improve on those models iteratively making them better and better and better so Deliveroo would know how many riders were needed on the road at a given time and when it sends out a notification to ask for those riders um, it can also estimate as to how many will actually show up. So it all of that comes from a level of sophisticated modeling that no human could ever do. That that is something that over the last 3 or 4 years, probably more than that, um deliveries put a lot of money into as have Uber. Um and hence you see and maybe I'm a bit biased on this, but with Uber and Deliveroo, the rider experience, the logistics piece is vastly superior to Just Eat. Just Eat have never really built that side of their business properly, because they were originally a pure play marketplace, which is a highly margin generative model. So don't get me wrong, it's a very attractive place to be. But they've been forced into chasing the full service restaurant model. And yet they within the DNA, the fabric of the business, they don't have that kind of true tech data component that they've been able to use to develop their logistics. That's been a, a problem. And that's why ultimately, their market share position is eroding rapidly. And I wouldn't frankly be surprised if um, the other two platforms move ahead of those in the next 12 months.
0: Yeah, that's um, in- incredibly um, helpful. Um, sort of, If I can say background, because you've taken that whole environment and others and built Sessions. Um, and I'm interested to know how you how you got from way, the position you've been talking about to Sessions. Um, you know, what is Sessions? What does it do? Um, uh, and I'm just interested in in that background to the business.
2: Yeah, so I left Deliveroo in 2019. So I'd been there for five years. And I suppose one of the the areas of hospitality that was particularly interesting to me was how dominant the chains were, particularly around delivery, perhaps even more so than in the physical world in that people on delivery tend to gravitate towards brands that are familiar to them. Whereas in the physical world, People are a bit more experimental. In the digital world, I know Wagamama's or Nando's. I feel safe with those, and therefore, I'll I'll order from those. Um, So inherently, there is a bit of a consumer bias already towards those bigger brands. There's also um, a a certain level of buying power that those brands have relative to an SME, which helps them make delivery work more easily than perhaps an SME would be able to make it work. Yet, I feel like more holistically, consumers are a bit tired of seeing the same old brands on the high street, and uh, that is leading to to more of an endemic decline on the high street it 's not the only thing that 's leading to that, but it, it is one of the many factors in why we 've seen a, a declining high street and so I wanted to to go after that challenge first by trying to create an infrastructure that would allow for independent, earlier stage brands to flourish. And uh, you alluded to it earlier, food halls was a, a young but burgeoning sector within hospitality, subsector within hospitality, that interested me. And although I'd never worked in physical hospitality before, I've worked around hospitality, collaborated with hospitality. Um, I was interested in this because you're not actually running the food or running the restaurant component if you like you're almost creating a platform it just happens to be a physical one versus a digital one which is what I then ended up doing I, I launched a food tool called Shelter Hall down in Brighton which has been really successful for us but unlike any other food tool and yeah. I'm not aware of any other food tool doing this we set it up as a studio or an incubator for concepts to to come in set up build their brand without any capex. So we would put all the money into building the kitchens. And then for the brands we liked, and this I suppose is the most relevant piece to the discussion today, um, knowing delivery as I do, the idea was that if you can create a brand quickly and easily in a food hall, which you can um, relative to trying to set up a restaurant on the high street, you can more easily match the pace of consumer change. So trends now, because of social media, are moving faster than ever. And the traditional model within hospitality um, designed to meet those trends just doesn't really work anymore. It's too static. So by the time you've set a restaurant up, found the second site, found the third site, then got your investment, then scaled it, your brand is old and it doesn't work anymore, is my theory. Whereas our model was designed to allow you to set up the restaurant faster, faster, within our food tool environment, but then critically scale the restaurant under license through us by leveraging third party operators that have underutilized kitchen capacity. And in doing that, your brand can be available suddenly in a hundred different markets across the UK, where you may have only built it 12 months ago. And there isn't any market that exists within hospitality that can allow for that today. Um, And so therefore, you're able to to maintain that pace of consumer demand, um, and you're able to monetize the IP of your brand in a way that, again, traditional hospitality struggles to do. So you might have a brand like Hawksmoor, say, which is a fabulous brand everyone loves, It's still somewhat confined by the bricks and mortar component of what it does. So, in other words, were that to be valued, it's probably going to be valued on an EBITDA multiple, not valued on either a revenue or even a GMV multiple that comes from a a platform business where you're deriving a percentage of that consumer spend. Um, And the reason you get those multiples is because you can scale them so quickly. And that's why people talk about tech businesses. It's not really tech businesses that get big multiples. It's businesses that can demonstrate that they can scale incredibly quickly either through the IP they have. So they have a tech platform that allows for that scale or the IP they have um, maybe on the brand side has been able to scale by leveraging someone else's tech that also can command big multiples. But building a brick by brick, operationally intensive business don't get me wrong, you can build valuable ones, but they take a long time and they require an EBITDA multiple, which means that they don't attract disruptive capital that can meaningfully change a sector. And you you referenced this earlier. You need that scale component to get the capital to
1: then scale. It's a bit of a kind of chicken and egg scenario. So on the back of that, Dan, I'm, I'm going to take an example um, out of sessions of Pate Guy. How does Pate Guy become the next big burger brand that everyone wants to go to? Because actually, it's around seeing what's on the high street. And like you said earlier, people are creatures of habit. So we see them all down the high street, these burger chains. How does Pate Guy get to that next level with the support of sessions? How do you help them?
2: So it's a a really good challenge. And I think this has been alluded to a, a couple of times. There are thousands of SMEs within hospitality setting up a burger restaurant, pizza restaurant, chicken restaurant, you see these up and down the high street everywhere. And uh, the challenge for uh, typically, the the fabric of these restaurants is around possibly immigrant families that have come over and set up a business. And there's really nice stories around these restaurants that I've come to know very well, because I work with a lot of them. Um, And many of them are extremely passionate. But Perhaps you wouldn't always think to go in because maybe the branding's not quite right or they don't really know where to source product at the right price. They probably don't have the same literacy around technology, so they don't know how to optimize their site in the way that a bigger restaurant might. So Sessions' job, I consider, is finding restaurants like that that will take or consider taking a brand like Pasigai. And then we will completely redo the operational fabric of what they have, leveraging the fact that they have the real estate, but also the passion for food. They want to be successful with what they're doing, but we'll give them a brand that we know will sell. Um, We'll give them the technology to help them to sell it. So we have a, a full stack EPOS Business. We have um, a, a performance management component with that. We have full aggregation with the delivery platform, so you can run multiple simultaneously. So we give you all of that. A marketing package for for how you deliver that brand within the area. We have a supply chain deal with. With Bidfood, that allows us pricing which will be much cheaper than the pricing that any of these SMEs will get. So we're affording them some of the buying power that we have, um, but not just that, the expertise and the, the tech that we might have that they probably don't have ready access to. And so with that, we hope that suddenly those thousands of no-name burger and chicken shops up and down the high street are actually offering more interesting brands. Um, They're able to derive more from those brands, and you begin to erode a bit of the market share of the big chains. And I'm happy to say that I'm willing to go after that. Um, We're not ashamed of it. We're about supporting independence. We're about Um, deriving more value for these end customers. As you said, Peter, I mean, we're not entirely altruistic. We want to make money as well, um, which I think is okay. But there is such an opportunity around that. And with that, you can disrupt the sector. If you can end up with, you know, a thousand, two thousand of these SMEs all using your brands, your technology, and you're able to deliver that great consumer experience through them, because you still need to do that. You can't do it lazily. And there are some horror stories of others that've tried to do this um, uh, that are fairly well documented, the Mr. Beast one you might have read about. Um, uh, so anyway, that doesn't probably directly answer your question. Going back to the original question about Passy Guy. so what we would do is with Passy Guy, we we worked with, or we still work with, a, a Master Chef winner, a guy called Kenny Tut, who is a, a local on the South Coast, and launched a brand with us in Brighton at Shelter Hall, and we then collabed on a burger brand called Passy Guy with him. So we set up a, a JV structure. And uh, we worked on this brand together. I say together. I mean, Kenny was the driving force behind it. And we launched it at Shell Tool. It was phenomenally successful. It was the most successful brand that we'd ever had there. And uh, so we, with Kenny, then worked on trying to, let's say, productionize the concept to make it scalable and easy for our partners to, to leverage and to operate themselves. And then we went out to market and started training up third-party operators to deliver that brand from their kitchens. And uh, we're now, this was about, we went out about six months ago and we now have the brand in 89 different sites across the UK. Simultaneously, we now have a physical site. So we, we try and do two things at once. Both scale it so it's available on delivery but also back it up by having full-fat physical franchises because I do believe the physicality in the model is important. And um, Peter alluded to this earlier. In Palo Alto, the local food hall that he mentions is a business called Local Kitchens, um, which is a kind of hybrid between the dark kitchen model and food halls. So they do a lot of delivery. The majority of what they do is delivery, but they use that front of house to help cement the brands and build brand equity and legitimize the concepts that they have in the market, which I do think is important. If you have purely virtual concepts with no physical franchising, nowhere where you can build even your digital assets around those things. So say you're your Instagram page, it, it helps a lot to have a physical site there that consumers can relate to and and know um, legitimizes that concept in a way that using that Mr. Beast example and we can come to that in a second, that entirely lacked. That was just a, a virtual brand in the ether created by someone that has nothing to do with food. So it's no surprise that in the end that blew up in my mind.
1: So let's just carry on with Pate Guy Dan, if we can is what I loved what you said there is six moms, 89 locations. For the people that are listening to this podcast and they listen to me and Peter, how have you got it to 89? Who can be a pate guy, franchisee, I guess, or a venue, a location? How does that work?
2: There's a, a world of potential locations, although we tend to target um, small, medium-sized enterprises. The particularly interesting areas for us to target are pubs, where pubs typically will have most of their focus on drink, I mean, unless you're, you know, a food-orientated pub. Um, But often you'll be right in the heart of a delivery zone. You'll have quite a a large, well-fitted kitchen. You may have labor in that kitchen that you're not really making the most of. And uh, for pubs, what we offer allows them both A a concept that can help them open up delivery because people don't really order delivery from pubs typically, whereas we can give them a concept that is more appealing to the delivery customer as well as giving them a brand that's more interesting and engaging for a consumer front of house. So what we'll sell to pubs is the prospect of replicating a mini food hall type environment. So if you want that, street food feel to what you offer you're not just serving your own burger we're going to give you a burger with a bit of a story and and something you can have your customers relate to more easily and we'll then train up your team on how to deliver that product we'll then implement our technology as i say we have an epos not all of the pubs we work with will use our full epos we also have a qr code ordering an ios app platform which can integrate with your pos so if you're Old school, as many pubs are, and working with a zonal or a system, an antiquated system like that, we can integrate with it, um, and then we'll manage the the partnership with Deliveroo, Uber, Just Eat. We'll list the the brands there um, as well, which throws off that incrementality. It gives you much more from that kitchen than traditionally you'd be able to get from it. So the key is it's essentially franchising. I made the point earlier about. Um, the most successful businesses in my mind are not ne- that they're, they're innovating but not necessarily totally reinventing things they're pointing to um a success in a, an industry or in a category within an industry and they're just doing it better by better leveraging technology and in my mind that's what we're doing with effectively franchising franchising's happened forever um You'll see, I think, franchising has really taken off as a category over the last several years. It maybe was a bit more of a dirty word in hospitality 10 years ago. Um, but now it's moved, and it's moved because you've got to scale faster. That That's the reality of, of the new world, the new consumer. Um, and so if you've got to scale faster, this is really the only way to do it. But the challenge is... The way that it's being done is, is still brick by brick and it still requires a bit of money, whereas the way we're doing it, yes, we'll do the full-fat franchising, but we also have this model that allows us to at least make it available on delivery, um, which means we can move faster.
0: Uh, uh, you've made a, a number of um, fantastically insightful comments, Dan. Um, it seems to me, and, I, and I'm now sort of going back to where we've, we started that um, over the last dozen years, delivery has moved from being a disruptor, it was just some one of those things that was causing a bit of a headache and a bit of head scratching, to uh, um, a, a multi-billion dollar global market with um, a key word having moved from disruptor to scalability. that That's your analysis and, and it seems absolutely right. Um, historically, the restaurant market, um, wherever you look, has built, has de- developed on a scalable model. In the UK, it was the role of private equity um, from about the time of the Great Recession up until um, COVID, um, working with a, a scalable model whereby you have a an outlet with a, a an EBITDA of whatever it was the way to double that EBITDA is to open another outlet and another one and another one. So that drove scalability in the casual dining sector. In the US, it's more built on franchising um, to to scale the business. So you, um, as the owner of the brand, you get other people to um, scale up for you, the franchisor, franchisee. Um, So scalability is an important element in the whole restaurant market. And if we see delivery as a part of the restaurant market, which absolutely it is, then I agree ab- totally that scalability uh, is the the route to success. And scalability using the right um, components, the right brand, the right mindset, the right tech, and you've made some com- comments about that, all of that, um, strikes me as being significant in the future development of um, delivery in general and operations, and I say like sessions, sessions is unique. There are lots of unique businesses in the delivery market at the moment because they're all learning how to scale.
2: Yeah, entirely agreed. Um, And I think that with that, the the first the, the early movers around the kind of model that we have. So trying to to leverage other people's operations with a a more asset light franchising model, which is essentially what we're doing. Um, obsessed about that scalability, maybe a little bit too much. Um, so that that's an easy thing to do when you get access to an awful lot of, of capital. Um, So you mentioned private equity, one of the, the emerging private equity categories was venture capital in the early 2000s with the growth of the internet. Um, which essentially allowed lots of different product types to to scale far faster than they had been able to scale previously. But the venture capital model versus traditional private equity, the kind of private equity that goes into the hospitality sector, um, demands a certain level of growth and frankly has a a, a very different growth profile and willingness to, to see businesses fail. So A VC model, they'll invest maybe in in 10 businesses and expect at least one of those businesses to return the entire fund. And so that means they can be far more risky. If they just get one of those big returns, it doesn't really matter if the other, let's say, seven of the 10 fail or go under. Um, And that's a really dangerous thing if you're a business that gets access to VC money, because while sure, they might want you to be successful, ultimately, they want their whole um, fund to be successful. And the fund only needs maybe one or two to return huge um, through being a unicorn or whatever. And so therefore, they will push you to be hyper aggressive in the way you attempt to scale. And uh, therefore, there isn't always room to allow for not just your product to evolve, but the market to evolve. So I'll, I'll give you a good example of this. Um, the the view towards the grocery market, particularly as we came into COVID, was that post-COVID, or frankly, would there ever be a post-COVID at this time? But post-COVID, um, it would become the norm that you may not need to even stock your fridge because at the click of a button in 10 minutes, gorillas would would bring anything or everything you needed. Um, it's a slightly different model to the Ocado model, um, where you do your whole weekly shop. That, in my mind, is is there to stay because people get that. You do your whole shop, you do it in the week. That's, that relates to something I'm already doing, but it's easier. Bang, that works, right? Whereas, okay, this idea that I want something instantly, a little bit more of a stretch maybe, but I'd argue not a total stretch and we will get there, but to get there overnight with the hundreds of millions that came in from Sequoia and others into that sector, Sequoia put a huge amount of money into to get here. And this was their, their big bet. All of the VCs was that this subcategory of delivery would, would really take off. But although I believe it will... That money going in so quickly forced these businesses to try and scale against an undercurrent of consumers that weren't quite ready for it, and that is a problem. Um, whereas, if you obviously see that product market fit and spend a load of venture capital money to enhance your product to match it, like Deliveroo have done or like DoorDash or whoever, then that's a very different thing. And I know lots of people will point at Deliveroo and say it's still not profitable, blah blah blah, but it it's inherent margin is is very strong they just invest in in a stronger market share position the product works it works really well with grocery it didn't they were investing hugely in frankly a very physical model you still need it still has capex intensity you still need sites on the high street you still need to carry loads of stock so there's a hell of a a stock risk on all of your product you need to market really aggressively that's not really that scalable firstly um And evidently, consumers weren't quite ready for it, but that venture money still went in. So there there is a risk, and I've, I've gone off topic a bit, but that scale has to match what consumers really want. And sometimes I think you've got to slow down a bit to make sure you have that product market fit before you try and just brazenly scale things that aren't quite ready. But the problem is when you're running a business... That has venture money behind you. There is this huge pressure to scale and scale quickly, um, which, when the bottom falls out of the market, which it did, and you know everyone knows this, um, very abruptly, you find yourself, you know, what's the expression about the tie going out and your pants are down. I mean, it, it's just horrible what's happened across a number of, of different tech businesses.
0: Well, fine, thank you. Um, unfortunately. We're running out of time um I think that we can carry on for another session if you'll pardon the pun, but we just don't have the time um i i think um you you mentioned um uh, the the fact that you moved off piece by talking about grocery delivery i think we're absolutely that's what we're talking about we're talking about delivery and you've given us some hugely insightful um comments about um how delivery works when you lift up the bonnet, and and um, I, I really think that's incredibly helpful. So thank you very much. Um, before we finally wrap up, is there anything that you particularly want to say? Um, and I'm going to ask you also um, to give us um, to give our listeners some um, opportunity to contact you or listen find out about sessions. So you can give us some link there as well.
2: Nothing in particular really I feel like i've I've had the chance to say a lot, so I, I really appreciate having been on the show the uh, the business I have is about helping brands build and helping SMEs leverage our brands and technology to to build their businesses as operators at the same time. Um, so I would love to have anyone that that might have an interest in that get in touch with me. Um, so it's just Dan at sessions so hopefully easy enough to remember um, but yeah, really appreciate. Speaking to you guys, has been a fun session. It's been fun uh, talking to you too.
1: No, definitely. Like Peter says, I think we could have carried on talking for a long time then. It's really insightful. And this is what the delivery profits is around. So operators, people within delivery, people within hospitality can learn more about it. How can it benefit their business? And for me today, listening to what you had to say, it's a huge benefit to the hospitality industry. So thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Thank you, John, for that. So a big thank you to Dan for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today, Um, and all the very best. Um, Here's a reminder that whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, an investor, or simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Apple, Google or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world forward slash The Delivery Profits. Tune in to the next edition of The Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews, and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever-evolving industry. Goodbye from today's Delivery Profits. That's me and John and Dan. Thank you.
2: Thank you.